Lord, thank you very much. Isn't that refreshing? There's something that is happening. And I tell you that this is happening even right now. I don't know if it was by chance why the sixth seal ended right here, right before Revelation chapter 7. We see that the sixth seal, all of it, it, it leads up and culminates with this whole idea of the coming of Christ. This one that is going to stand. This one that is, is coming to take us back. The Lord. And it tells us that, you know, it gives you a, a choice where two individuals, two set of individuals, two sets of people, one that is running from God and one that is with God. And then we see now Revelation chapter 7 opening up. Now, I tell you that Revelation, it works, works in cycles. We see one cycle, and then it begins another cycle, but greater details are being added uh, as we go. And so when we see in this book of Revelation, it tells you that after these things, I saw how many angels? Four angels, and they are standing these angels are standing. Now, what are angels? Messengers, right? So there is a messenger with a message that is standing. This message is standing. There is something holding this message back. It is standing. Four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Four corners of the earth. It is not by chance that is written in this way. Four angels, four corners of the earth. This means that there is a universal message to go through the earth. This is a universal message. And it, and it says they're holding back the winds of the earth that the winds should not blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. It's very clear that this message that is being held back when this message is released, it's going to cause great hurt on the earth. It's going to cause a turbulence on this earth. And we look here now and, and it says, Then I saw another angel ascending out of the east. Now, it's always interesting from Scripture. Whenever something new is going to be introduced, it does not come from the west. It does not come from the north, neither from the south. It comes from the east. The Lord, we understand, will come in the eastern sky, right? Wherever anyone is going to be in the east, everybody's going to look east. <laughs> and the Lord is coming from the east, right? Uh, having the seal of the living God. And this is the authority of God, the seal of God. This means that this, is, this angel is coming from God. This message is coming from God. This angel that is telling them, uh, uh, ascending to them, having the seal of the living God, and he cries out. So he's coming with authority, and he is crying. He cried out with a loud voice to who? to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees 
till we have sealed the servants of God in their forehead. And whenever you see the earth, that represents people. Whenever you see the, uh, the sea, that represents a multitude of people. And also the trees, till all be, it's the entire earth. Whether you're up, down, around, it, and you're seeing that it always talks about on the earth, under the earth, in the sea, in every area. It says, do not harm the earth till we have sealed the servants of God in their forehead. Now, I'm just going to give you additional information. You could ask me about the details and everything because we do have a lot to cover. We know the sealing began, and I'll tell you, the sealing, as we understand, there's a sealing that began many years ago. And the sealing in process began in 1844, all the way coming up, and it's going to culminate at the end of time when Christ comes. Um, you could ask me questions on that. I'll give you answers afterwards. And it says, I heard the number of them that were sealed, and it says 144,000 of all tribes of the children of Israel, they were sealed. And we ask ourselves the question now, and for many years, many Seventh-day Adventists have gone around and says, hey, there is uh, only 144,000 people that will be sealed and taken to heaven. There will be no more. And back in 1888, they were looking for the coming of Christ. And they thought that at that point, 144,000 will be sealed. And that would be it. Back in 1844, we had another cluster of people that believed that. And they were greatly disappointed. The Lord did not come back. And back then, it would have been actually, um, <laughs> the mathematics would have added up. Because there were, there were just a few thousand Seventh-day Adventist uh, Christian believers at that time that was coming into the truth. And so that was okay. But when the number went way beyond 18, uh, 144,000, then people started asking questions. Is it, could this be right? That only 144,000 people are going to be saved? I remember when I went to my first general conference in Indianapolis, there were 80,000 people in the stadium praying for the Holy Spirit. It is basically double that number and less a little that would be saved if under that idea that it's just these people. A stadium full of people, or two stadium full of people, will be saved and brought to heaven. And that's what even today many individuals preach that only 144,000 people will be saved and will be going to heaven. And so this is where we have that ping pong theory. Some say, hey, the number is literal. Some say that, no, it is symbolic. But what does the Bible say? And I'm sticking with the Bible. You notice that I'm not throwing any other uh, prophetic writings in this. If I do, I'll, I do it as a teaser, but my anchor is in the word of God. We must make sure even in the book of Revelation, in anything that we're doing public and teaching people, we must have our basis in the word of God. It is a hard thing for us to try to defend a truth that we heard from an extra biblical material. I remember once <laughs> I was in college, Vanier College, 
and I sat down with this sassy Christian girl, and I was trying to tell her, yeah, I read in the Bible that there is going to be all these unfallen worlds, you know, and I know it is in the Bible. I just read it last week, and she said, show it to me. And I went in the book of Daniel, and I thumbed through the book of Revelation, and I'm looking and looking, and I can't find it. It wasn't there. And that was an extra biblical material that I read. I read this and somehow I, I, it just merged within my theology and I figured that, well, yes, it, it's, it's definitely in the Bible and I'm quoting it and I couldn't find it. And so I had to go in and I show her text in Job when Job and, and Satan came and there was a council in heaven and I had to splice different texts and different things to bring across the meaning. But the exact word that I was saying verbatim was not there. Needless to say that I left there like a donkey. Ashamed. <laughs> And over the years, I have vowed anything that I have to teach, it has to be in the Word of God. It's such a joy when somebody asks you the reason of your faith, and you could say, well, thus saith the Word of God. It's right there. And I say, well, find it in your Bible. Let's read it, <laughs> you know. And they read it in their Bible. And it's amazing when they read it in their Bible and say, well, I've never seen this before. That's the word of God. And so the 144,000, the same way we're going to look at this. But as I was looking at the 144,000, I find that it's interesting. Um, these are the four angels. Nice picture. Four angels. They're holding back the wings of strife. But mind you, they're not standing together. They're standing in the four corners, right, of the earth. And it says, of all these tribes, the tribe of Judah, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of God, Naphtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, um, uh, Joseph, and Benjamin. They were all sealed. How many thousand people were sealed? 12,000 from each tribe. Now, one of the things I have always intrigued me in the study of God's word, I like to look at the meaning of names. But even for um, um, not just the meaning of names, I like to look at the what was what what was the the essence of that person's life. And one of the things that I looked back at is in the book of Genesis, chapter forty-nine. If you want to understand anything, you need to go back to the beginning. You go back to the beginning. The, Genesis is the book of the beginning. And so you go back to Genesis. And from the sheet that I gave you, if you look at that sheet, I don't have it on screen. I'm sorry for anyone that is listening, but you could write this down. In Genesis chapter, or email us, and we will be happy to send you a sheet. That's, that's a, a good deal, right? And so here we see now, in this, we see that the tribe, according to Revelation chapter 7, the first column. Then the second column is the tribe according to um, Genesis chapter 49. And we see the list of names there. Can anyone list the names that you see on the sheet there? It's, it's exactly what's in the Bible. Can anyone tell me? In the second column, we have the first name is? Reuben, yes. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Zebulun, Issachar, 
Dan, Gad, Esher, Nephtali, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, in, when we look at this, is there any name that we just read that's not here? Are you saying Manasseh? Any name that we just read in Genesis 49 that's not, that's not here? This is what we see here, but, huh? The Dan. Dan. I even heard a little kid saying that. Dan, right. Now, Dan, his name is not, did not make the cut. It didn't make the cut. And something, it's, it's very interesting. And I started studying this uh, some time ago, and I'm, it's interesting that you see this. Because in, if you back up in your Bibles, in the book of Genesis chapter 49, what we see is something very interesting. Remember, you know, the, the children of Israel, they were uh, in Egypt now. They were living the high life in Egypt. Uh, Joseph, he was next to Pharaoh. He, they were traveling in air-conditioned chariots. They were enjoying the life. They were living the life because I am a brother of Joseph, and he is the second in command. And so they were living in style. They had the best land. They were living in Egypt, right? And so it was interesting that as we see this now, Jacob comes in Genesis chapter 49, and he blesses his sons. It's important for us to bestow blessings upon children. Now, you, some of you may take this as some kind of, uh, you know, mythical stuff when we bless our children. I take it serious because it's rooted in the word of God. When you bless your children, you're giving them a hope, you're giving them an expected end. And so here now Jacob, he is so happy. Uh, he comes to Joseph and he sees Ephraim and Manasseh, right? Ephraim and Manasseh. And apparently... Manasseh is the eldest, right? Manasseh is the eldest and Ephraim is the youngest. And so uh, Joseph now comes and he says, um, Father, hear my children, as he called them, as you read it in Genesis chapter 48. And so Joseph comes and he puts his children before him and he makes sure that the eldest son is at the right hand, is across the right hand from his father, Jacob. And so Jacob is blind, but, you know, he does have a little sense. And he checks out and he recognizes, okay, well, Ephraim is over here, Manasseh is over here. And what does he do? You read it in Scripture in Genesis chapter 48. Read it for yourself. He crisscrosses his hand. And he bestowed the blessing on the younger one. And the blessing he puts on for the other second blessing is on the older one. And he prays and blesses his grandchildren. And so then after he proceeds now and he blesses his children. And he starts from Reuben. And he speaks to Reuben and he, and he prophesies over Reuben. He says, you should have been the one that received the birthright, but, but because you climbed up in your father's bed 
I mean, Hollywood does not have anything over the Bible, right? <laughs> this kid, somehow, he climbs up in his father's bed and he gets it on with his father's concubine. It's not his mother, but his father's concubine. And the rule is like, listen, if, if your dad has this woman, you ought not to touch. And that was the rule back then. There's no shearing, right? And, and so because Reuben did this, the birthright is taken from him. He does receive a blessing still, but what happened? It goes down to the next eldest. And so Simeon and Levi comes into fray, and they're waiting for the blessing now. And guess what happened? The blessing passes over them because in their wrath, they went and destroyed the whole city. You know the story, right? Interesting story. I believe it's in Genesis uh, chapter 34, around there about where because of these guys messing around their sister Dinah, these guys show up and you're going to see the parallel with them. These guys show up and they trick them, got them all circumcised. And while these guys are um, healing, they go and kill them all. Right? These guys are in pain now. They have never been circumcised. And you know circumcision is, you know, within a, a private area, right? And he go, they go in and wipe them out. And somehow God remembers it and says, no, 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 no. These guys, anger is not going to work. And so the birthright jumps over. And who does it land on? Judah. Judah. An interesting study. So Judah becomes now... The one who carries that birthright, the blessing of the birthright to the next generation. Remember, Jesus, he is of the tribe of Judah, the Messiah, all of that. They prophesied that the Messiah will come through that lineage. That's why it was all important. So anyways, let me just get on with this. And so we go down and every single one is described. And it comes to Dan. And in Genesis chapter 49 now, I'm just talking this from my memory, so you guys, you could look in your Bible and, and uh, keep me up to spec. So in Genesis chapter 49, when it comes to Dan, it describes Dan, and he says, hey, listen, Dan, you know, Dan really means judge, but Dan, he is a snake-like figure. And he says, Dan... You know, you are one that's a deceiver. When the horseman rides, when the horse is riding, you come out as a snake and you sting him, right? And so because of this, there was a, somehow a curse that came up and Dan, and Dan was neutralized. When the final role was listed in the book of Revelation here, chapter 7, guess what? Who is not there? Dan is missing from this list. Dan is missing from the list that is sealed. And that's interesting. And who is replacing Dan? Manasseh. But how did Manasseh get there? Manasseh, he should not have been there because Jacob, can you imagine Jacob, when he resurrects and he sees it all, he said, that's not who I chose. I chose Ephraim. I chose Ephraim. Joseph chose Manasseh. His 
father chose Ephraim and God chose Manasseh. There's a principle that I'm working in and I'm working this into for you to understand the um, 144,000. There is a meaning to 144,000. Bear with me. And so we see this. So Dan, he loses his position. He, he gets out of it. We see Simeon and Levi. These guys are real bad guys. So they don't get it, right? Birthright goes from them. But look here now. We go over and we understand. I don't think I have the text up there, right? Um, we, I don't have the text. But I want you to understand. In the book of Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus calling his disciples. And these disciples are called, and he called the disciple, he, uh, Simon, Peter. He calls Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, Thomas, uh, James, Simon, Judas, and not, that's not the, this Judas, the son of Alphaeus, I believe. And then there is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot now, he comes and somehow he is known as the one that betrayed Jesus and he loses his position. He should have been there, should have been one of maintained, but he was taken out of the way or he took himself out of the way if you read that carefully. And so the disciples go ahead in Acts chapter 1 and who do they choose? They choose Matthias. They choose Matthias. But who does God choose? We see the last column. God chooses Paul. There's a, there is something that is developing here among the apostles. One is chosen by Jacob. Remember, Dan loses his position just like Judas. And uh, so Jacob chooses, he chooses one of them, he chooses Ephraim. But the Lord chooses Manasseh. The disciple chooses Matthias, but God chooses Paul as a replacement apostle. Now I'm breaking this, and I gave you a text, I gave you a text in the column, you could read it up and get the context of it. But what we're seeing here in the book of Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, in this, and you could put it on screen if you wish, um, um, Damon. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the, genera in the generation, sorry, when the Son of Man shall sit on his throne of glory, he shall sit up on how many? 12 thrones, judging what? 12 tribes. So he's speaking of, uh, well, hold on a minute. The disciples, the apostles are going to be sitting on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes. There's something here, guys. Let's see what it's, what it's actually saying. And so in Revelation chapter 7, verse 4, we understand that the number of them that were sealed, 144,000. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 1, it says, And I looked, and behold, a lamb uh, stood on Mount Sinai, and with him stood how much? 144,000, having his father's name in their forehead. 
Now, let me break this down and a lot to show you here that what John sees and what John hears is, is a different story. What John sees and what John hears is a different story. Uh, I'm sorry, Damon. I, I, uh, all right. What John sees in Revelation chapter 7, right? We see that John hears what? What does John hear? He hears the number. He hears, and I want you to see it there. Uh, this is it here. Okay. Um, we'll do, do, back, back, back. Okay. All right, there. John now, it says he looks and what John, um, and he heard, yes. You see in verse 4? It says, I heard the number of them that were sealed. How could you hear the number? How could you hear a number? He heard the number of them that were sealed, and he heard 144,000 of all the tribes of, of is the children of Israel. But later on, it goes on and it tells you that John sees something. He hears the number 144,000, but he sees a great multitude that no one could number. And so there is something here. He could, he could number these 144,000 because he knows that they are called for a purpose and they have a mission. But the great multitude later on, and let me see if I could get to that text, uh, the great multitude, you see where it says now, and after this I looked and behold a great multitude which no man could number out of what? All, All nations. And so he he is here seeing this great multitude, and he says, I can't number them. But he could number the 144,000. Isn't that interesting? So if he could number the 144,000, maybe the 144,000 have a special purpose. I want you to understand, the Bible speaks. The disciples had a purpose. Jesus chose 12 for a reason. The apostles, the same. The, the, the tribe of Israel, they had a purpose. And he selected 12 for a reason. It's so interesting. And as you look at that, the disciples and the apostles coming together, what is the meaning of it all? Now, in the bottom of your sheet, I put a text here in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verse 14. And it says, now the wall of the city. Now the wall of the city, right, had how many foundations? Twelve foundations. And it says, on them were what? The names of the twelve apostles. The same John that heard the 144,000 he is seeing that wow, the foundation of the walls of the city had 12 foundations and each foundation represents who? The apostles. But then we go on further and it says here in verse 20, um, back up in um, verse 12, and she, had, um, and she had a great and high wall uh, with what? 12 gates. 
and 12 angels at each gate and the name of who? The name written on them which were what? The names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. There is something there and this is, I'm not making this up. This is from the word. Right? 12 foundation, the apostles. The apostles. And that apostle that is replaced, <laughs> Judas is not there. Paul is there. Interesting. The gates, 12 gates, the tribes of Israel. And so we see in the city, New Jerusalem, the gates and the foundation. Could it be that this city that we think, and we're going to talk about that later when we get to it, could it be that this city, New Jerusalem, that we were looking as the city of gold and all of that, where the structures, could it be it's not about structure? Could it be that it's about people? I want you to understand the whole book of Revelation, the whole prophecies, everything, it's all about people. Christ did not come to save a temple. He came to save people. Amen? Amen? Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. He is interested in you. He is not, if we go up there and we chip the, the surface of the sea of glass, you know, do you, is he going to be angry? He wants you. He wants you. He wants us. And that is the whole thing. And so what we have to understand, the foundation, we are standing on the foundation of the teachings of the disciples, the apostles. Remember John, in, in Jesus, the prayer of John chapter 17? Thank you, Lord. I didn't see this. But in John 17, Jesus prayed for disciples. He prayed that they may be one as he and his father are one. But he also goes on, he says, he prays that for, for those that will believe under the teachings of the disciples, we are standing on the foundation of what Peter uh, preached. We're standing on the foundation of what Paul wrote and preached. We're standing on the foundation of all the 12 apostles. This is why we stand, and this is why we are here right now, because they have carried on the mission, started off that church from that, in, in that time, in the, in the early years, from the apostolic time all the way down to now. This is why it is very important for us to stand for what is truth. Don't stand for tradition. If you stand for tradition, you may find your place in the wrong city. And that city is going to burn and be burnt up and be no more. We want to stand in the city, New Jerusalem. Amen? And that city is a city that's just well suited for us. There is a chair. There is a place. There is a pew just for you, just to fit your description, whether you're tall, skinny, whatever it is, right there. And so what I'm asking you to see now, could it be that just as God selected 
12 literal disciples to preach so that we have a foundation to stand on? Could it be that 12 literal gates for us to enter in, and I think I'm entering in gate three or five, right? I'm just calling it, right? Right? Could it be literal uh, apostles uh, are tribes representing all of that? Could it be that the 144,000 are 144,000 literal people that is called for a special mission in the last days to finish this work? Each of these tribes, as you would see in Genesis chapter 49, has a characteristic. And so God could forgive a fornicator, an adulterer, Reuben, Praise God, he made it to the row. <laughs> God could forgive a hot-tempered Simeon and Levi. They made it to the row. The interesting thing, too, when you parallel the tribes with the disciples, there were two sons of thunder that wanted to destroy the city. There was a Simeon and Levi there. And what were their names? James and John. And guess what? We're reading about John. John was entrusted with the end. Christ gave this message to a hot-tempered young man. He forgave him. What we are understanding, every single tribe, there is a characteristic. And this is why some people, they jump up and they think that only these conservative people, they're going to heaven. Oh, no. God has room for the liberals and the conservatives, right? Uh, there are going to be some preachers that get up there and they're going to be hollering, praise the Lord, and going on, right? There are going to be some calm-speaking preachers like me, right? Right? Hey, but listen, what you have to understand, God is calling people from all descriptions, all gangster preachers coming out of prison, right? Taking up preaching. What I'm saying to you is God is calling, he's assembling his final army, 144,000 that is going to take over this world by storm. In fact, I believe they're here right now. And they're finishing the work. And so I don't scoff at preachers. I have no, it, this is not my business to say, hey, this, this guy, he's He's off the rock. This is why as soon as I open up, I go to any conference and I hear people bashing, oh, these people, you know, they're off the devil because they have the drums. You, sh you just shut me up. In fact, I don't invite people like that to church, to my church. I have no room for bashers. People come and all they're speaking against is reform, 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 this, dress this, dress that, whatever it is but there's no Holy Ghost. And I wonder about that. There is no balance. If you're not preaching Christ, I don't want to hear it. And so what we have to understand, there is a characteristics for all of these. Everyone that will be sealed 
will be representing, they will be standing up representing Christ. Christ's message will be preached to them. This message that we have to understand, and it's deep, this message that we see here in Revelation chapter 7, this message, when this message is preached in all corners of the world, it will bring persecution. Last night, I finished a meeting and I went down town. I heard that they have this first Friday business. I say, hey, I'm going to check it out. And so on Sabbath, went down and I saw there's a reggae group. There was, I mean, I said, Lord, take me away from there, you know. <laughs> so I went over and, and there was some punk rocker group, whatever it is, and I mean, singing there, I mean, I said, ah, all kind of people. I see one guy, he was looking like a snake on a pole, <laughs> winding up and doing his stuff and everything, just displaying himself, and all the girls are, woo. But I saw something that shocked me. I saw young people, thousands of them. They were there it's as if they were waiting and said, tell me about God. But then I looked and I saw this guy from a, an evangelical church and he was just standing on the side and he's just giving off flowers. And I said, can you believe it? Someone saw something in them that they want to win them. I looked over and another guy, I don't know what church he's from, non-denomination, and he's giving out tracts and all of that. And I said, you know something? I was talking to Tom. Tom was there. I said, listen, not Tom, um, Gary, sorry. And, sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. And I was saying, you know, this is where, this is where we should bring our church. In fact, next March Madness, boom. First Friday, March 1st, I'm calling it. We're going to be right there, setting up our booth. We're going to have our music going on, giving out our tracks. We want them to come. We got to go in the devil's territory. We, the Bible tells us we should be in the world, but not off the world. All that you have to pray is that, Lord, please pray that these youth, as they go, that the world doesn't get in them. We need to affect change. And so church, as I look at all of this, what's happening here, this message, when this message is preached down there, when this message is preached around here, when it is preached towards the entire globe, that's when I tell you there will be a time of trouble such as you would never understand it and see it. When the devil is threatened, you will see persecution it will come out of the woodworks. And this is what's going to happen right now. And you know what? It's the young people that's going to finish the work. I just wish that we had young people here right now. More young people, let me say. We need to be empowered as we finish up here. Now, and so anyways, I want you to take it, study it. This is what Revelation chapter um, 7 uh, talks about um, the, the whole idea 
We talked about the great multitude. The great multitude now, the 144,000 simply are 144,000 powered up, souped up preachers that will go into the world and they'll preach up a storm. And as a result, the great multitude will come. Amen? Amen? That no one could number. We will hear them preaching and we will see a number that we can't count. That's basically what it's saying. And so all of these things, it will culminate. And these 144,000, they after the redemption, they are going to be with Christ wherever he goes. Now, we have the four beasts that we see in Revelation chapter 4. We have the 24 elders. And guess what? The new addition that will come, huh, the 144,000. And they will be going with Christ wherever he goes. And so that's basically Revelation chapter 7 in a nutshell. We will have all of these people. All of these. I have pictures like this last night. Sea of people downtown jumping. We've got to have them jumping for God. Amen? And so everybody, let us um, break this down as we just get into this, the last, and then we get in our questions. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for the space of about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels, the seven angels who stand before God. And this is a perfect message. Where you see seven, seven, seven angels, these are seven messages. This is a perfect message. And to them, there was given seven trumpets. This is going to be a sound that everyone will hear. And it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it, offer it with prayers of all the saints up on the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, which with the prayers of the saints ascended up before ascended before the Lord God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. This is the end, everybody. Everything is being canceled out now. The Lord is about to come. And there were noises and thundering and lightning and earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpet prepared themselves to sound. And this is an awesome scene. Within the seven seals, this is the final seal. This is the end of everything. This is just before the Lord says, this is it. It's all over. I'm coming back. We are right now at the point of that sixth seal. The Lord is about to come. He is about to wrap things up. And we are about to enter into that seventh and final seal when that is open. And it is when Christ says it is finished. Everything is going to be over. And so church, this is not some fairy tale. This, what you're seeing, it's your future. But it's either you're going to be up there 
are down here. I don't want to be at that point when John saw New Jerusalem coming down out of God, out of heaven, and New Jerusalem comes and rests on the earth. And for the first time in the history of the world, every single person that was ever born will be alive. The righteous within the city, the unrighteous on the outside of the city with Satan. The unrighteous is going to be with their leader and their friend. The righteous will be with their leader and our friend Jesus Christ. And it tells us, and we're going to study that extensively when we get to Revelation 20. Fire shall come down out of God, and they are going to be consumed. But there's a, that fire, we're going to spend a little time and study it, because some people are confused by that. But for the final time, everyone will see each other. We will see relatives. They will be crying. They will be agonizing. But it's going to be too late church, it's very important for us to know where we stand. As we close out uh, tonight, this section, I want to open up for questions. Anyone have any questions? Anything that um, we covered from Revelation chapter 1 all the way here to Revelation chapter 7? I know someone came to me and they're saying, Pastor, you're going too fast with this. You know, we want to take time and chew on it like cows, you know, and appreciate this, right? Um, I do understand, and that is true. And um, we hope that this week we could slow down a little bit and get, get a little understanding. But as um, we get into this week, uh, we will be touching some key issues on Wednesday night. Remember, Wednesday night, that's when we start back. And we're going to be touching on some key issues but it's going to be more opening us to see what's happening in our society right now in prophecy. And as I um, opened up this morning. Anyways, questions? Yes, sister. We just want to hear you. <laughs> um, Pastor, when we were in the Holy Land, we were told that Jews, that all of the Jews are trying to get back to Jerusalem. Yes, now, right. Jerusalem is considered in the east. Yes. And Jerusalem. so, so yes. they want to be there because uh, we were told that they think that that's where Jesus will appear. That's right. Um, it is, you're totally right, um, where all the Jews right now from Russia, from South Africa, from all across, they believe they're, they're, they're coming. And th there is the prophecy found in Malachi, the last chapter. It is believed that there is going to be a, a pulling of all the Jews from all different lands, and they will come back to Jerusalem. However, let me just say, say there is a misconception. They have the wrong Jerusalem. I have to say this very clearly, right? Uh, the action is not in the Jerusalem here on earth anymore. The action that's, that is taking place, as Matthew chapter 4 tells us, 
Jesus goes to prepare a place for us. And if he goes and prepare a place for us, he will come back and take us to that place. And that place, as we understand it in the context of Revelation chapter 21, it is the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem, it is for everybody, not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. It is for all those that are called according to Abraham's seed, heir of the promise. And unfortunately, the Jews, they are still seeking to live and cohabit in Jerusalem, and they're unfortunately still looking for their Messiah to come. And the Messiah has already come in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay, I... Whoever you get to first. <laughs> okay. There was one hand here for Elder Muldrow and P um, Peter. Okay. Well, I just wanted to, to say that the reason that's a lot of these first day churches are backing Israel no matter what they do That's right. is because they they believe in that prophecy. That's right. And they also believe that God is blessing literal Israel. Yes. And they're expecting a lot of things to happen there, but it's not going to happen like as you said, Pastor. The children of God were fooled the first time to think that his kingdom was going to be here on the earth. That's right. And he's got, and the devil has them deceived again That's into right. thinking that there's going to be a literal kingdom on this earth. That's right. And even though the scriptures point in another direction, people are still expecting it here. And that's dangerous. That is dangerous. Okay, um, sister, you need to raise your hand. Wave. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, okay, brother, and then coming to sister. Yeah. All right. No, I was just trying to clarify a little bit of that because. Um, I was in Israel too, and I the same, they act in the same way. But the basis of that is that they still, and they're not. I'm not going to say that they're wrong, because they're still right because they don't think that the Messiah has come already. Right. And according to the Old Testament, he came like he came, like the, like the New Testament says in Jerusalem. So they're still expecting him to come to Jerusalem. That's why they're going back to Jerusalem because they don't think he ever came. So. <laughs> So right. that's the, right. the, the basis of the whole thing right. is that it's not that they're wrong. Right. They're right, but yet they're wrong because, because well, they're well, mis I mean, misguided. You, but right. you can't be right and wrong, right? Well, the, the, but, the, but what you're saying, I understand. In ignorance. Right. In ignorance. In ignorance. And let me say, if, right. if there is a Jew that is looking and that's all they know, right? And they, you're indoctrinated in that. You know, it says that God winks at your ignorance, right? right? And perhaps there may be Jews, and I'm not saying there will be Jews saved. I'm not God. God is the one that judges the consciences and he knows everything. But in, in that sense, if they're, if they're doing it out of ignorance, okay. But they're individuals that know very clearly and they have the opportunity to study and see, wow, that Jesus in fact is the Messiah. And we did kill the Messiah. Because remember when they killed him. When, they, when Jesus was martyred. They said let his blood be up on us. And our generation. So they called down a generational curse upon themselves. And that's hard. But the Lord is able to break generational curses. Praise God. Sister. Um, 
just to follow up on the comments on the Jews, I wasn't going to say this, but what we're told is that when the loud cry goes out and we have the final truth message for the world, there will be Jews, literal Jews, who join yes. us, and they will be a great strength to Amen. our truth because of their knowledge of the Old Testament. Praise the Lord. But what I wanted to comment on most was um, your comments on the 144,000. I believe, too, that that is God's final army, God's final remnant. Another yes. way to put it, as Joel 2 puts it. That's right. In Zion and Jerusalem will be deliverance. Amen. And in the remnant whom God shall call. I believe that very strongly. That's right. But my, my understanding is also that in terms of the two groups seen in Revelation 7, the 144,000 and the great multitude, another distinction between them is that the final remnant, the 144,000, go forth with that loud cry of truth. They yes. win the great multitude, yes. but there will also be blood flowing of martyrs like there was, we're told, in the Dark Ages. True. And, yes. and my understanding is that those who, uh, a great deal of the great multitude will, will fall, Yes. In that blood flow, That's but right. that the 144,000 will survive beyond the close of human probation, yes. and will be alive during the seven, the time of the seven plagues, yes. when Christ's intercessory ministry, his ministry of forgiveness in the, in the sanctuary is over when That's he's thrown right. down the censer and that's when that group has to That's right. live in the sight of a holy God yes. without That's an right. intercessor. That's right. Okay. Correct. Well, well stated. That's right. Amen. All right. Yeah, I, I had a question. Uh, it's found in Revelation 4 verse 5 and I'll read it. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And my question is, can you clarify the seven spirits of God? All right. Well, um, in terms of what, what we understand is that seven denotes perfection, right? Seven denotes perfection. And one of the things that we, we, we see here is that the... Um, the seven spirits of God. This is this is actually the uh, a perfect. Uh, you cannot get more perfect than that. Now, this morning, um, I, I knew this question had come up, and I had answered it. Uh, the seven spirits. I there, right? Okay. Now, if we go back, if we go back, I believe it is. Um, I didn't have the text up there, but it's Isaiah chapter eleven, verse two. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. And this is just something I recently came across and, and so forth. And I thought it made sense. Because here we have this text in Isaiah chapter 11. It's prophesying about who? Jesus. Who is the, who is the stem of Jesse? There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. Now, I'm not preaching any shepherd rod anything. I'm just making that very clear. All right? I'm putting that out there, right? But there shall come out a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and that rod is who? It is Jesus. It is no David Koresh. It is none of this foolishness that people like to try to assert to even this text, right? Uh, it says, and a branch. This is no branch Davidian. Please understand. <laughs> a branch shall go forth from his root, Right? And it says, the spirit, of, the spirit of the Lord shall rest up on him. Right? 
the spirit of the Lord shall rest out, uh, uh, rest upon him. And so we have the spirit of the Lord. We have the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of God. Now, what we have to understand now, the, whatever this seventh spirit is talking about, it is a perfect spirit. And the only person that had this in any form of perfection is this one that came out of the root, and that is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Do you understand? And so when we look at it now, we talk about the book of Revelation. It's all, it's revealing to us Jesus Christ. It's all of that. And so we're seeing Jesus in many different forms. And in fact, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. He is the intercessor. He is the all in all. And so there are some dual act, uh, um, prophecies, but all of these prophecies rest upon Jesus Christ. And so when we say the seven spirits in that sense, um, we uh, equate that, or I equate that in my study, it comes right back to the perfection of the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Is that clear? All right. Testing, uh, simple question. It was like you had stated that in 1844, the sealing started. And my question was, is what, well, what happens to the people that weren't alive at that time? Um, the sealing was for them and for those that are alive? Okay. Well, we're talking about the process because in 1844, something happened. The judgment, the day of judgment.